I wanted to uh, begin by just saying how much I appreciate those of you who served over the last couple of days. We were um, serving at uh, Wildwood Barbecue Bash. We had a group of probably 50 to 60 people who uh, served and were a part of helping serve our city. So this is a picture of a group on Friday night. The next picture is of a group that was on Saturday. And we actually have people that are still there now and will be there through the rest of the day. And so I, I appreciate you all so very much, a willingness just to serve and live beyond yourself. So thank you for that. So there was this uh, kind of grizzled old truck driver who had stopped at a truck stop um, to have dinner. Um, he was sitting there minding his own business when three hell's angels, all tatted up, come into the diner. They spot the guy, so they walk up to him, and the first guy takes his cigarette out of his mouth, and he puts it out in the guy's apple pie. The second guy picks up the guy's glass of milk, and he spits right in the guy's glass of milk, and he sets it back down. The third guy takes the glass of milk, and he pours it all over this old guy's food. And they all sit down on the counter and they just stare at him. And the old guy doesn't say a word. He just picks up his hat, gets up, and he walks out of the diner. And one of the guys scoffs as he watches him leave. And then he turns to the waitress and says, not much of a man, is he? And the waitress looks outside through the glass windows and she says, I guess he's not much of a truck driver because he just backed over three motorcycles. <laughs> So why is it that revenge feels so sweet? Why is it do we love to hear that the bad guy, you know, ends up being in trouble? Why do we love movies, at least maybe guys do, movies like John Wick or Taken, movies, you know, way back in the day, Rambo, where, you know, it looks like the good guy is going to lose, but in the end, he gets his revenge. Everything seems to be wonderful. Why do we enjoy that so much? Why do we have this sense of, yeah? Part of it, I think, is because when we are hurt, when people say and do things against us, there is this sense that justice needs to take place, right? Somebody needs to pay for what was done to us. And the only way to make it right is for the bad guy um, and what they did to me, right, for the bad guy to pay for that. So when you take that feeling that most of us have, and then Jesus comes along and Jesus says things like, blessed are the peacemakers, or blessed are the merciful." When that happens to us, we're like, Jesus, that's a wonderful sentiment, that's a great kind of a feeling, but that just doesn't work in the real world. Not in the place that I work, not in the people that I'm around. That kind of peacemaker, mercy stuff, it just really doesn't work. And so for us as believers, as we're trying to live the way Jesus wants us to live, but we say that doesn't work, but we know that's what Jesus wants, how do we balance that out? How do we reconcile our desire for justice with the Bible's teaching about showing mercy to other people? You know, rather than acting on our desire to back over some motorcycles, how do we express mercy to people who have wronged us? So we are in a series called The Journey of Mercy. And we are taking this trip together, trying to help each other figure out it's not so much a destination that we're trying to go to, it's more about a transformation of what God's trying to do in our hearts. For us to become a church filled with people who extend mercy and grace to other people. So we 
kind of started with this baseline understanding of the definition of mercy. So this is kind of our, what we're operating from. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Say that out loud with me. Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness. It's unearned forgiveness. They, they haven't earned it, and it's this, or undeserved forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Unearned kindness, they haven't um, earned that from us. And so what we think about as we express those to other people, I can only express mercy when I'm in the position of power, right? If you've done something to me, then I have the power to retaliate back at you. And so showing mercy means I choose not to do that. Now, in Scripture... Mercy has a lot of different words that help us better understand it. And many of those words are up here on the stage, like the word compassion and the word kindness and this word pardon, or over here, this word forgiveness or the word grace. And so there's a lot of different facets to this word mercy. Today, we, we kind of talk about one of the most difficult aspects of mercy, which is extending forgiveness to other people. And we're going to learn about this merciful forgiveness today by looking at a guy from the Old Testament who had to show mercy to other people. It's one of the most amazing examples found in all of Scripture outside of Jesus' example himself. So it's a story that comes from Genesis chapter 45. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 45. So there's Bibles in the seat in front of you. Genesis is easy to find because it's the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 45, or turn your phone or your tablet off, but make sure you silence your phone, right? So you turn to that Genesis chapter 45. Joseph was a brother. Now we we looked at a story about a brother last week, but Joseph was a real-life person. He didn't just have one brother, but he had 11 different brothers. And his story teaches us that mercy, this sense of mercy within us, moves us to be able to offer forgiveness in our relationships. Mercy helps us offer forgiveness. Now, I want to be real transparent at the beginning in that I know and understand that this is going to be a challenging topic for some of you. Forgiveness and the thought of extending forgiveness to other people is almost beyond our ability to understand. But I believe that today could be one of the most profound days in your life if you learn to take this step of mercy. And for some of you, you have got this burden that you have been carrying around most of your life. And today may very well be the day through the story of Joseph that you can set that burden down. The bitterness that keeps coming up within you that, you know, gets spewed on other people. Today may be the day that you can get some cleansing from that wound that you have felt for so many years so I want to begin by this with us understanding together the definition of forgiveness, all right? So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is um, to cancel a debt. When I forgive someone, I cancel a debt. So when we talk about that today, I want you to keep that in your mind, that forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's releasing a person from an obligation of paying what is owed. So let me tell you a little bit about Joseph. I need to do some backstory for you before we get to our story. So Joseph, as I said, was one of 12 boys. His story begins in Genesis 37. And so the reason the number 12 boys is because they became the 12 tribes of Israel. Their father, Jacob, or Israel, God later named him that. He was the father of the Jewish nation. Um, 
As a young man of 17, Joseph was his father's favorite. Joseph was his father's favorite. Anyone in here um, have that same moniker, you are your father's favorite? Anyone in here? We almost uh, had a fight between, oh, we got two sisters over here saying that, right? So Joseph was his father's favorite, so much so, I mean, Jacob never even tried to hide it. I mean, he gave his son, Joseph, all these lavish gifts right in front of his brothers, and so they became jealous. In fact, their jealousy turned to just hatred of Joseph. So by the time he reaches age 17, they're plotting to kill the boy. They can't stand him. They want Joseph gone. And so what they end up doing is they, they fake his death and they sell him off into slavery into Egypt. Now there is no doubt in the mind of Joseph that the betrayal of his brothers and their deception to their father was impossible for Joseph to get, in, to get past, almost impossible. And this betrayal by his brother sends Joseph down a, a path of enslavement and separation from his father and the life he loved that lasted for 22 years of his life. From 17, the next 22 years. And some of you have had that kind of pain and betrayal in your life for even longer than 22 years. You've experienced that kind of pain from abuse or betrayal or separation or treachery or violence or manipulation or extortion or mistreatment. And so if you felt that, it is the pain of our past that makes this concept of mercy showing up in forgiveness almost too difficult to sit through. How do we deal with that pain? What do we do with how we feel about the past that's what we're going to learn from Joseph today. Now, there's a couple things about Joseph. Number one, you need to understand that Joseph's path was guided by the hand of God. His, what was going on, Joseph was guided by the hand of God. He was guiding and using Joseph for some amazing things. But just because God is guiding your life doesn't mean that there aren't pain and problems. Okay, that. That's important for you here. Just because God is guiding your life doesn't mean your life is free from pain and problems because God wants to use the stuff in our life, the struggles and the difficulties to help us. Like last week we talked about for some people, it's to help, us bring, help bring us home to the Father. But for others of us, God uses the pain and difficulties of our lives to shape us and to mold us and to de develop our character as God is able to work through each one of us. But we also need to understand that by the time Joseph is 30 years of age, so 17 to 30, the first 13 years that he is gone, he goes from um, a slave in Egypt to a convict in Egypt. But then, at about age 30, Joseph begins to see, though he's had hints of what God's wanting to do in his life, by the time he reaches age 30, Joseph begins to really see what God is wanting to do in his life. So here's what happens. In Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh, ruler of all of Egypt, has two dreams. And those dreams are agricultural in nature. You can look at them up later on um, in your day. But both of those dreams, no one in the land could interpret them. No one knew what they meant. And so the cupbearer to the king, who had spent some prison time with Joseph in prison there, the cupbearer to the king all of a sudden says, oh yeah, I forgot, there's this guy in prison. You know, Pharaoh, when I messed up and you sent me, but you didn't chop my head off, you let me come back here. He says, there was this guy I met there, and he could interpret dreams. 
And so what they do is they take Joseph out of prison, they clean him up a little bit, they put some new clothes on him, and they bring him into the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells his dreams, and Joseph says, well, I can't interpret them, but I have a God who can interpret them. And Joseph tells the meaning of the two dreams, which means there's going to be seven years of amazing abundance and plenty, followed by seven years of horrible famine and drought. Those last seven years will make you forget about the first seven years. But Joseph doesn't just interpret the dream. Joseph says, here's what you need to do. You need to begin to store up all the grain in these seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine come, everything will be taken care of. And so what Pharaoh does is looks at this guy who's a convict and says, I'd like for you to be the one to lead the way. Obviously, God is working in this particular story. And so what happens, Joseph is put in charge at age 30. And so for the next seven years, he's in charge of gathering all of this grain. He begins to gather grain from the whole nation of Egypt. So much grain that they just quit counting it and quit keeping track of it. They have so much of it. But then the seven years of plenty ended and the famine begins. And by the second year of the famine, Jacob, his father, and the whole land of Canaan, which is where Joseph came from, was really beginning to feel the effects of this famine. And they heard that there was grain to be bought in Egypt. Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, that he hasn't seen for years, sends the ten older boys to Egypt to buy the grain. And the plot begins to thicken. This is the first time in Genesis 42 that the ten boys come face to face with Joseph since they'd sold him off into slavery. Now, they didn't recognize him. They didn't have a clue who he was, but Joseph knew who they were. And so what he started doing as you read through this story is testing them to see, have they changed any? Are they still the same treacherous brothers that he had had before? And you need to understand that forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. So they get grain, go home first time, they come back a second time. This time they bring their little brother Benjamin to get more grain, and he continues to test them. He wants to know, have they really changed? And so it is at this second visit to Egypt that Joseph invites all of his brothers. Again, they don't know who he is. He invites all of his brothers to his house, and they're wondering what is going on. And it is there that we come to our story in Genesis chapter 45. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 45. It says, Then Joseph could no longer contain himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So he's emotional, which makes sense, right? He's emotional for a lot of different reasons. He's emotional because he, you know, he's trying to figure out, can he trust his brothers? 
But he's balancing, you know, this idea of do I, can I trust them with this idea that I know I need to forgive them. He's also in a power, right, to do anything he wants to them, and nobody's going to question him. But he also knows that God has called him to forgiveness. So he's wrestling with revenge versus forgiveness. So verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Then he asked, is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You bet they were terrified at his presence. They finally figure out, this is Joseph? I thought we had buried that and left that way behind. And so what does Joseph do? Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt." I mean, this is the most amazing picture ever. Joseph forgives them. He could exact any kind of payment from these guys, but Joseph chooses to forgive them. That Joseph was willing to forgive them after 22 years of pain and anguish and separation and turmoil, and that's a great example for us. What do we learn from Joseph? How can we be helped in dealing with this issue of forgiveness? Well, the first two steps I want to talk about are things we've already talked about. Step number one is we need to remember that God is a God of merciful mercy. God is merciful. As, as we shared in the service, you know, God delights to show mercy to us. We'll never forgive anybody if we don't recognize how merciful God is. Number two, we learned last week that God has forgiven us a great debt. That's the story we talked about last week of the prodigal son, that we have been Forgiven this great debt, and God has opened his arms to us in great love as a father who loves us dearly. Now, step three is the first step that we learn from Joseph, and that is to forgive requires that we name the hurt. If I'm going to forgive, I'm going to have to name the hurt. See, what his brothers did to him from a human perspective is unforgivable. I mean, their jealousy and hatred for Joseph had grown to such a point that they were willing to kill him. So here's the picture back of that day. Joseph's 17. He's his father's favorite. Dad sends him to find the other boys to be able to find out what it is they're doing and to bring them some food. And so Joseph is on his way to see his brothers. And here's Genesis 37 beginning in verse 18. But they, that's his 10 brothers, saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say the ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They wanted to kill him. It was only happenstance or God's work that brought a caravan from Egypt along and they decided, well, let's make some money off of him rather than just kill the kid. This is a deep-rooted hatred of him. And some of you have experienced that. You have experienced that from those who were supposed to love you. You've experienced that hatred from those that you trusted or that you called friends. 
And so when Joseph is finally in front of his brothers and he reveals his identity to them, he says something to them that for some of you may be a little bit bothersome. Look what he says, verse 4. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me there. What is Joseph doing? Joseph is naming the hurt of what they had done to him. He said, you're the ones who did it. You're the ones who sold me here. Now, it's bothersome to some people because we've lived under this philosophy that says, we just know, let's just let the past be the past. Let's not dig up all those bad memories anymore, right? Let's just leave the past back there. The problem is, the past doesn't stay in the past. That's why operating through unforgiveness is so difficult because unforgiveness takes the problems of the past and what does it do? It brings them right into the present. It causes us to have issues in present relationships that we have. When the hurt is painful enough, you cannot leave it in the past. It keeps showing up in the future. That's why so many of us struggle with addictions, right? It's because we're trying to medicate the pain of the past that we just don't want to have to deal with anymore. But what happens is we actually carry that pain into relationships in the present and in the future. And so even though we say, oh, it really doesn't bother us, the bitterness and the pain that we felt because of that shows up in the relationships that we have right now. And so Joseph, what he did was he named what they did to him. He didn't just sweep it under the rug. He didn't just pretend that it didn't really bother him. Forgiveness is not denying that someone hurt you. Okay, please understand that. If you offer forgiveness to someone, you are not denying that that person hurt you. Forgiveness actually requires that we name whatever it was that was done to us and we express the pain that we felt as a result of that. Now, Joseph did it in the presence of his brothers, right? Joseph said to his brothers, you're the ones that sold me here. Now, I don't really know how he said it because his heart seems to be a heart of forgiveness, but he said it in their presence. And some of you may need to do the same thing. You may need to go to somebody. And you may need to say, when you did this, this is how it hurt me, how I felt abandoned, or how I felt betrayed. For some, maybe you need to go to an authority and you say, you know what, this person did this to me and it hurt me. But at the heart of all of this, is the honesty to be able to admit to ourselves what was done to us and the hurt that it caused to us. Because you can never move ahead into any kind of forgiveness if you can't name what was done and how it felt to bring it to the open. Write it down. Speak to a counselor about it. You know, have a conversation with a trusted friend, but be honest with the pain so that you can move ahead. So number one, Joseph teaches us to name the pain. Number two, he teaches us we must cancel the debt. We must cancel the debt. Because what Joseph does next is astonishing as you read this together. Verse 5, he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What, what was Joseph doing when he says, Don't be angry, don't be distressed with yourselves. He was canceling the debt. He had already named what they had done. You, you did this. It hurt me. 
But he's saying, I'm not going to make you pay for that particular debt. Rather than extracting revenge and collecting on the debt, he was canceling it. So I started again the, the, the message with the definition of forgiveness. It is to cancel a debt. Because what happens to us is somebody does something to hurt us, you know, verbally, physically, emotionally. And when they've hurt us, it's a sense that they've taken something from us, right? They've stolen something from us by what they've done. Maybe what they've done is they've stolen our reputation or our innocence or our security or our family or our home. They've taken something from us. That's why the sense of revenge is so sweet is because we can get even with them, right? We can get back at them. You took this from me, so I'm going to take something back from you. But here's an important question to wrestle with. From an emotional standpoint, how do you get paid for what was taken from you? How do you get what was taken from you back? How can you undo what was done in the past. The reality is this sense of, I, I want them to pay, hurts you way worse than it hurts them. I mean, imagine that you have a splinter in your finger and it starts getting affected, so it starts hurting you, but rather than taking it out and cleaning it, you just let it fester and you just kind of get angrier and angrier about it and then it affects everything you do. Imagine you're trying to play at a piano or an instrument with a finger with, that's so infected there. You, you cannot play very well when we're carrying around the wounds of the past. And so we've already named the hurt, right? We've said, we've, we've been honest, this is what happened and this hurt me and now with the power of God we have to make a choice and a decision to cancel that debt. To forgive is to say, this hurt me this was taken from me, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to cancel the debt. I'm going to leave this hurt right here so that I can move forward in my life. Because forgiveness, though in some sense it helps the other person, forgiveness is really about what it does to your own heart. How it cleanses the bitterness and the pain and how it cleanses the wound in our own life. It's a decision to say, I'm letting the hurt go and you don't owe me anything. So we name it, we cancel the debt. But I think this last part is probably the most important thing that we learn from Joseph here. If we're going to be able to forgive, we must trust in God's ability to redeem the hurt. We have to trust God to redeem the hurt. Somehow Joseph was able to have this spiritual connection with God that he was able to see how God could take the pain and do something amazing with that. So look again, beginning in verse 4. He says, come close to me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Because you notice the perspective Joseph has here? He's saying, not you didn't do this. He's saying God did this. God sent me here. God sent me ahead of you. Joseph was able to see the hand of God even in the midst of the pain and the struggle. The certainty that God was moving in the midst of all that was crucial to Joseph's faith and ability to be able to forgive. So as you reflect 
and I reflect on the pain that others have caused in our lives, it's important for us to recognize God, God did not cause that pain, but God can redeem that pain and he can make that into something that is amazing and powerful in your life. This is the principle of redemption. God can buy that pain back and he can give you back tenfold as what has been stolen in your life. Taking that which is scarred and hurtful and painful and terrible and he can make it into a masterpiece. And Joseph put his trust in God. But do you notice in regard to his brothers, if you read the rest of the story, that Joseph was very selective and careful to give his trust back to his brothers. And this is very crucial for you to understand if you're going to be able to move into forgiveness is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean I automatically trust you. Okay, forgiveness does not automatically mean that I trust you. I might not even be able to be reconciled with you, but what forgiveness means is I have named the hurt, what you've done, and I've been able then to cancel that debt. A lot of people confuse forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Trust has to do with the future. Forgiveness is a gift that I grant, I offer to other people. Trust is earned because somebody else has changed. Dr. Henry Cloud said this, he says, many times people are too quick to trust someone again in the name of forgiveness and not make sure that the other person is producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember, sorry does not equal trust. Sorry equals forgiveness. Changed behavior equals trust. And so what was Joseph doing? He was putting his trust in God. He was allowing his brothers to demonstrate that they've changed, but he was careful with that, right? He was wise with that piece. He gave them the opportunity, but his trust was in God. That's how you can cancel the debt of other people who've hurt you, because you're trusting in God and you're careful with your trust to other people. Joseph showed mercy to his brothers by canceling the debt and offering forgiveness. But he also provided for their future. If you keep reading in the story, one of the things Joseph says to his brothers, go home and get my father, get all the families, and bring them back here. You guys live here with me because I'm going to take care of all of you. Because mercy is not just undeserved forgiveness, I'm canceling the debt, but mercy is what? It is also unearned kindness. He gave kindness to them. He met their need even when they didn't deserve it. So the question for us to wrestle with today is who do you need to forgive? From your past or maybe from your recent past, who is it? Who's the person that God is bringing to your mind? And then what's the next step you need to take to offer that forgiveness?